Welcome to the St George's Leeds Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the talk. Good morning, everyone. My name is Lizzie Wolfe, and I'm the rector here at St George's. Now, last week, as well as being a Jubilee celebrations, it was also Pentecost Sunday when we celebrated the gift of the Holy Spirit poured out for all believers. Over the next three weeks, we're going to look a bit more closely at what the Bible teaches us about the Holy Spirit. So today, we're going to look at who is the Holy Spirit. Next week, we'll look at what does the Holy Spirit do. And then we'll look at how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit. So who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Bible say? Well, unusually this morning, we haven't had one particular Bible reading. And that is because we are going to look at lots and lots of verses this morning. Now, thanks to the wonders of modern technology and to Jonathan, our amazing projectionist, they are all going to appear on the screens for you. Uh, But if you would like to follow along with an old school paper Bible, then I applaud you for that. And just a top tip to help you find your way, we're going to start right at the beginning of the Bible, and we're going to keep going forwards all the way through the Bible until we get to the New Testament. So... Let's start right at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and verses 1 to 2. The first thing that the Bible tells us about the Holy Spirit is he was involved in creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So the Holy Spirit is creative. He was involved in creation, bringing order, harmony, and beauty out of chaos. Genesis tells us the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters at creation, like a bird over her nest, waiting to bring something new into being. And the Holy Spirit is hovering here today, longing to do something new in people's lives. Whenever the Holy Spirit comes to live in a man or a woman, something new happens. He gives us new purpose, new attitudes, and new desires. When the Holy Spirit comes to a church, he brings new things, new ideas, new songs, and new love for Jesus. Now, many of us in the church are a little bit conservative with a small c, rather concerned about change. Now, I should say that our church wardens, we are very blessed in our church wardens, they are faith-filled, pioneering people. But I heard about one man who is a church warden somewhere else, and he had been a church warden for 46 years. Now, someone said to him, wow, In those 46 years, you must have seen so many changes. And he said, yes, I have, but I have resisted every single one of them. (laughs) But the Holy Spirit is creative. He wants to bring new things to the church. The Holy Spirit also brings life to human beings. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, 
the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now, in Old Testament Hebrew, the word used for breath is the same word that was used for spirit in Genesis chapter 1. It's the word ruach. Now, here, the ruach, the breath, the spirit of God brings physical life. But the Holy Spirit also brings spiritual life. In the New Testament, we're told the risen Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Sometimes when people experience the Holy Spirit, you can actually see it in their faces. I always think of a man uh, I met called Neil in prison. Just to clarify, he was in prison and I was just visiting. Uh, But I went there to help uh, the prison chaplain launch an alpha course. And so we gave a bit of a talk the first time and I, I met with Neil and I had the great privilege of praying with him as he accepted Jesus into his life. Then uh, there was a six-week gap as the chaplain was running the first part of the Alpha course, and then they came to the Alpha Weekend Away. Now, it's a little bit difficult to organize an Alpha Weekend Away when you are running Alpha in prison. So instead of taking all the prisoners away for the weekend, they tend to invite guests to come in to make it a little bit more special. So we went back again to do those Alpha talks on the Holy Spirit. And... uh, I saw Neil again, but I didn't recognize him. His face had completely changed. He was filled with this kind of joy and peace. And he explained to me, he said, when you first met me, there was so much pain and anger inside me that I would look at people and I would want to smash their faces in. But now, he said, I've got so much love inside me. I just want to tell everybody how loved they are by God. Now, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon particular people at particular times for particular tasks. It's not just a sort of warm feeling. Something actually happens. So, for example, in Exodus 31 the Holy Spirit comes on a man called Bezalel for artistic ability. In verses 1 to 5, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Now, of course, you can be a talented non-Christian artist or musician, but with the Holy Spirit, there's an impact at a spiritual level. And I think it's interesting that Bezalel wasn't called to full-time Christian work. He was just getting on with his job. And the Holy Spirit can equip and inspire you for your work. Then another example, the Holy Spirit came upon Gideon for leadership. Now the background to this one is that Israel was in a desperate situation, overrun by Midianites. And then in Judges chapter 6 and verses 14 and 15 it says... 
the Lord turned to him, that's to Gideon, and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. In other words, he's saying, Lord, you've got the wrong guy. I am not equipped to be a leader. But then in verse 34, we see what happened. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. He becomes a remarkable leader and God uses him to rescue Israel. Even today, God often uses people who feel weak, inadequate, or ill-prepared. Then the Holy Spirit comes on Samson for strength, Judges chapter 15 and verse 14. As he, that Samson, approached Lehi, the Philistines came towards him shouting, the Spirit of the Lord came on him in power. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax and the bindings dropped from his hands. Often, things that happen in a physical way in the Old Testament happen in a spiritual way in the New Testament. So perhaps we're bound not by ropes, but by fears, habits, addictions, or patterns of thought, such as jealousy or anger. The Holy Spirit can give us the strength to break free. Then our next example, the Holy Spirit came on Isaiah for prophecy. So in Isaiah chapter 61, which is roughly in the middle of your Bibles, it says this, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Prophecy is not primarily foretelling the future, but forth-telling the word of God. And in this passage, the prophet Isaiah is telling us that we receive the Holy Spirit in order to go out and make a difference to society around us. I remember a lawyer friend from the city explaining at his baptism the difference that Jesus had made in his life. He said before he became a Christian, when someone came to him for, for help, he would just feel entirely helpless, and so he would avoid those situations because he felt he had nothing to offer. After he became a Christian and was filled with the Holy Spirit, he felt he could make a difference. And so one of the things he did was to set up a legal advice service at the local homeless shelter. Experiencing the Holy Spirit is not a selfish indulgence. It's so that we can go out and do something, be part of transforming our society. Now, every time we read in the Old Testament about the Holy Spirit coming on people, something happens. 
but the activity is restricted to particular people at particular times for particular tasks. As we go on through the Old Testament, there's a rising sense of anticipation. Something new is going to happen. This is referred to as the promise of the Father. In one sense, you could actually sum up the whole Old Testament in that one word, promise. Now, there are three important questions that we need to ask about the promise of the Father. The first question is really obvious. What is the promise? What's going to happen? Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 33 is a key verse to understand this. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Now, basically, the Old Covenant in the Old Testament said, I am your God, you are my people, and these are the laws that you need to keep. They were good laws for a good society, but the people couldn't keep the laws. They kept breaking them, and the law became like a burden on their shoulders, weighing them down. So God says, I am going to do something new. I'm going to put my law within you, in your hearts. It's a little bit like if you set out on a long walk with the St. George's walking group, and it's a beautiful sunny day, you have got your rucksack on your back, and in your rucksack you have got your sandwiches and some snacks and some water, all the provisions that you think you're going to need, and you walk on, uh, for probably quite a few miles, because they're quite hardcore, these walkers. And eventually, you break for lunch. And you eat the things that you've got in your backpack, and you drink your water. Now, two things are going to have happened by the time you set off again. First of all, the, the load on your back is going to be lighter, because you're not carrying so much. But secondly, it's now inside you, giving you this energy to keep on walking. But how? How is that going to happen? Well, that is the second important question. How will the promise of the Father happen? Ezekiel 36, uh, verse 26 and 27 explains, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. That's how he does it, by putting the Holy Spirit in us. When the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, he takes away the hardness from our hearts. He gives us soft hearts. Some of you may have heard of a lady called Jackie Pullinger. She spent the last 40 years or so working in Hong Kong, principally amongst the heroin addicts and the gangs and the prostitutes there. She went there, age 21, and started just to walk the streets, ministering to people and talking about Jesus. She sometimes comes back to the West to speak, and not surprisingly, her talks are always quite challenging. 
Uh, one in particular at one of my old churches has gone down in history. Her opening words were, God wants us to have soft hearts and hard feet. The trouble with so many of us is that we have hard hearts and soft feet. Now, I've often thought about that over the years. Jackie has hard feet. She's a tough woman, and she goes to dangerous places. But she has a soft heart. I've watched her praying for people, and you can see the love and the compassion. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. He gives us soft hearts and hard feet. So our first question was, what is the promise of the Father? The second, how will the promise of the Father happen? And then the third question is, to whom is this going to happen? Who is the promise for? Well, in Joel chapter 2 and verses 28 to 29, the Lord says, and afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters, so it's male and female, will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. So it's old and young. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. It's for everyone, regardless of gender, age, background, color, rank. That's what was prophesied. But it didn't happen. The people waited and waited for the promise of the Father. They waited 300 years and nothing happened. Then, with the birth of Jesus, it's like a trumpet sounds and almost everyone connected to his birth is filled with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist, who announced the birth of Jesus, was filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth, Zechariah, and Simeon, all filled with the Holy Spirit. But although there's great activity of the Spirit, it is still particular people at particular times for particular tasks. John the Baptist is the first person to link the Holy Spirit to Jesus. So in Luke chapter 3 and verse 16, John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He, that's Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, we have had some wonderful water baptisms recently. Baptism with water is important, but it's not enough. We also need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The word baptized means to overwhelm, to immerse or plunge, drench. It's what happened when a ship sank and the water came right in, filling it up. I think some of us sometimes are a little bit like a sponge. If you dry out a real sponge, it gets a kind of hard, dry crust on the outside. And then if you put it into the water, the water doesn't immediately go into the sponge because of the crust. But if you leave it in the water long enough, the crust softens 
And then the sponge really absorbs the water. If you take the sponge out of the water after that, water is just pouring out of it. And I think that's sometimes what happens when people spend a bit of time in the presence of the Spirit of God. It takes a while to sort of soften, and then we get filled right up. Jesus was completely filled with the Holy Spirit. He received power through the anointing of the Holy Spirit, which descended on him in bodily form like a dove at his baptism. Jesus also predicted the Holy Spirit's presence. So, in John chapter 7, we're told about Jesus attending a big Jewish festival called the Feast of Tabernacles. The Jews were expecting an outpouring of the river of God from the temple, as prophesied in Ezekiel 47. And this river would bring life wherever it flowed. It would start in the temple, which the Jews regarded as the very center of the universe. The literal word in Greek is koilios, which means the innermost part of the world. So at the Feast of Tabernacles, they would enact this. The priest would take a golden pitcher and fill it with water and then pour it into a funnel on the west side of the altar, symbolizing the river that was going to come out of the temple. John 7, 37 says, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Now, literally, the word he uses is koilios. Out of their inmost being will flow rivers of living water. So Jesus is saying, you thought this prophecy would be fulfilled in a place, the temple. It's actually fulfilled in a person, Jesus Christ. And in a derivative sense from every person who believes in him, out of their inmost being will flow rivers of living water. By this, John goes on to say in verse 39, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Then Jesus died, he rose again, he ascended, and still the promise of the Father had not been fulfilled. But there's a rising sense of anticipation, like when you shake a champagne bottle. In Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, it says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses. And this group of about 120 people start to pray, Lord, send us the promise of the Father. And then suddenly in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, the champagne cork flies off. This is the passage that we were looking at last week. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, 
A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now we saw last week that this caused several different reactions. Verse 7, some people were utterly amazed. But verse 12, others were perplexed. What's going on? Verse 13, others made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. So Peter gets up and he explains. And he says three key things. The first thing he says is, this is biblical. It was promised in the Old Testament. So verse 15, he says, these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he quotes that passage we've just looked at. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. So he says, first of all, this is biblical. Secondly, he says, this is Jesus. So verse 22, he says, people of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth. And then he goes through the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus until he gets to verse 33 and he says, exalted to the right hand of God, he, that's Jesus, has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. So this is biblical, this is Jesus. Thirdly, he says, this is for you. Verse 37 to 39. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. He says, this promise is no longer restricted to particular people at particular times for particular tasks. It's not just for the apostles or the 120 people who were praying or the 3,000 people who were converted on the day of Pentecost. It's for all whom the Lord God will call. We live in the age of the Spirit, and the promise of the Spirit is for every Christian. In other words, it's for you. Thank you for listening to the St George's Lead Sermon Podcast. For more talks or information, visit stgs.org.uk.